you so much for being here with me. Um, I am Rebecca Emerson, Executive Director of Our Community Listens, and I'm here today with friends and family of Our Community Listens, um, Fire Chief Greg Milano from the North Charleston Fire Department, and Jacqueline Milano, you are an instructor with OCL, also work for MUSC as a nursing instructor. How are you today? Doing fine, thank you. Yeah, we're good. Here in St. Louis, we are in week seven or about seven and a half weeks into shelter in place. And I know that you all are in Charleston, South Carolina area. Tell us what the tone has been the last two months there for you all in the first responder and family and community leader areas. Well, I'll start just in the in the work environment. Um, it's just been a very unusual time. I've been chief of the department since 2009. And uh, so more than 11 years, and we've dealt with a lot of different situations, thousands of fires, tens of thousands of other emergencies, um, disasters, including ice storms, which in coastal South Carolina is unusual, uh, floods and hurricanes. But I think in a lot of ways, this is the most challenging. Um, it's certainly the most lengthy. Uh, most of those other situations are, are done within about a week to 10 days. And like you said, we're seven or eight weeks into this thing and uh, still have a long way to go. But a friend asked me about it and I, I described it. I think the best way to describe it is that it's kind of a combination of post 9-11 dread and pre-hurricane anxiety. And I think that's the closest description of what it feels like, just sort of a sense of vulnerability and uh, vulnerable in ways that I think we, we really hadn't experienced before. I think physically, economically, and, and socially as well. Thank you. So you gave us a great encapsulation of what it has been like as a, from a first responder in a leadership lens in the community. You've got this whole other side of you've got three daughters at home learning from home right now. Um, I don't know about you, but in my house, we've been sheltering in place for seven and a half weeks. And my sons, who are fantastic, wonderful humans, one of them told me today, I'm just so tired. I'm stir crazy. I'm tired of seeing the same people all the time. Like, could you go anywhere else, mom? Are you <laughs> dealing with any of that? <laughs> Do you want to take that one too, Greg? Uh, sure, that'd be fine. So we have three girls, a high school junior, a high school freshman, and, and a fourth grader. Uh, the older two were already doing a lot of schoolwork online, and the fourth grader adapted very quickly as well. Um, normally, we're very busy, like uh, like families with with kids that age all are, with school and sports and friends. We try and make family time a priority, but uh, but that is limited. But I, I think Jack mentioned it to me early on, and she sort of had the realization that with our kids being the age that they are, this will most this time will most likely be the most time that we will ever have together as a family ever again. And that we should just try and enjoy it and, and make the most of it. And uh, for the most part, I think we've done that. We've done family walks and, and bike rides and just games and activities, things that we normally would not have time to do uh, in, in March and April and, and May uh, of a year. We even, we fostered a dog um, from a rescue organization, which turned out to be a lot of fun and, and a neat thing that we could do as a family. 
And, uh, and even we've talked a lot about our, our middle child with our exposure to um, OCL, we've learned that she's sort of the, the uh, outlier in our family in terms of her personality. Um, but uh, she's, she's very busy and very social. And during this time, I felt like we got to sort of reconnect in a way that maybe had been lacking for much of this past school year. So in terms of our family, I, I feel like it's been a really positive time. Certainly there are some challenges. Uh, they miss their friends. Uh, they'd like to be, be doing other activities. But overall, they've, they've adapted well, and it's been, um, it, it's been a good time and a good experience for our family. And we've just been able to start to relax some of that with them, um, with their friends kind of quarantining at home. Our middle child went to spend the week with one of her best friends, and our older daughter went to spend um, some time with one of her friends. So we're trying to be careful. Um, you know, we were very strict in the beginning, you know, knowing we're kind of setting an example to what we'll allow. I'm trying to be responsible about what we're doing, but you know, we're at the point where we can relax a little bit and still be cautious. That's wonderful. I've heard that from so many people. There's been these silver linings and these blessings in disguise, as you say, like family walks and more family time because you are together and you're not running to all the different sporting events and social events and things that tend to keep you busy when you're in that 10 to 18 year old range of your life. Right. I think it was interesting, Greg, how you talked about the um, post 9-11 trauma and the pre-hurricane dread and you're kind of living in that space of both of them at the same time, but for an extended period, you know, the hurricane Maybe you're gearing up for it for a couple of weeks ahead of time, but this has been going on for a couple of months now. How are you needing to respond in leadership to your people in a different way? Or do you see that stress wearing on the people you lead and how do you respond as a leader? So a, a big piece of it is, is communication. And I always say that communication is crucial in a time of crisis and then I also point out that change, any type of change really is a crisis. Well, this was both of those things. This was a crisis and it was requiring us as an organization to change. We had to significantly alter the way that we operate, um, limit, trying to limit our interaction in what is normally a very direct and hands-on occupation. So we had to limit our response to medical calls and other situations where there's close physical contact and then even things like restricting station access and canceling public events. So we had to be very deliberate about trying to communicate these things to our people. And normally before hurricanes and uh, other disaster scenarios like that, we will put out an operations plan and then I will make a point to visit all of our stations and shake hands and put eyes on people and try and answer any questions that, that they may have uh, before we actually deal with the crisis itself. And then whatever it is that we're facing blows through in a couple of days and we gradually get back to normal. Well, visiting stations really wasn't possible in this situation at a time when we were dealing with something that's really unique. Uh, in coastal South Carolina, we've been dealing with a hurricane uh, just about every year in, in recent years. So we've kind of gotten the hang of that. But um, 
But with this situation, with all of the change that it brought, we needed to find a different way to communicate. And one way that I typically, I record video updates to all of our personnel on a monthly basis. And we found that to be very effective. Um, I have about 270 people in my department and they're spread uh, out at 12 stations on three different shifts. Uh, They're structured in about 54 different small groups. So recording a video is, is a really good way to communicate with them. And so we did that at the very beginning recorded several video updates uh, and put those out a few weeks apart. But we soon realized that that really wasn't enough. Uh, we were seeing some inconsistency in some of the, some of the changes that we had to implement. Uh, there were rumors circulating and there was just a lot of stress among employees about getting infected and then possibly infecting their family members. Uh, and that, that was a very real possibility, and we were seeing that in other parts of the country. So we recognized pretty early on that we needed to establish dialogue, not just reporting the information, not just uh, recording those updates and putting them out. So we switched from video messaging to video conferencing, and like a, like a lot of organizations are doing, and just started doing frontline calls uh, or calls with frontline supervisors on each shift, uh, on each week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of each week, really just giving them updates, but then asking them questions as well for any questions they had, any comments that they had, and any needs that they would have as well. And I think we just recognized that dealing with so many unknowns, the goal was to try and provide as much of what was known as possible Mm -hmm. and to try and help tamp down some anxiety Uh, that was certainly understandable. So what I hear, Greg, is that you started delivering information and you saw the anxiety level going up or maybe not subsiding. And so people needed, you recognize that people needed to be heard. They needed a chance to speak into it and ask questions and seek understanding. And so you moved to dialogue. And once you moved to a dialogue with those shift supervisors every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, how did that affect the communication? How did that affect the anxiety levels within your organization? Well, we're not through this yet, so uh, but I, I think it's been a definite improvement. And I think, um, I think we've seen people be able to adapt to the changes more quickly where they get a fuller explanation of, of where they came from and why we're doing them. Uh, so they've gotten a better sense of that and just a fuller description of... Uh, of why we're doing the things that we're doing and um, passing on more quickly some of the information that we're getting uh, working with our, our regional and, and state uh, public safety entities, passing on the things that we do know and trying to fill in as many gaps as we can uh, as we as a community, a, a state, a country are dealing with just so many unknowns as we're working through this situation. Thank you so much for that. So either at the, the um fire department or at home, how are you celebrating things during this time when you have something that happens really well, whether it's with your family, with your daughters, um, or with an individual or a group within the fire department? What are ways that you're keeping the morale high and you're keeping um, just the energy fresh? And that's for both of you. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's communication within the family too. 
recognizing that the structure, like having some structure in the day is good and kind of getting on a meal schedule together, at least for dinner and communicating like, what do people want for dinner? Like there's so few things that you can do and few things that you have control on, uh, control with it. I mean, that's been one thing that we could plan and just have some fun dinners, I guess you could describe them that way. And then what activities we might want to do for the evening, um, given some choice. And if somebody got to pick the activity the night before, then it's somebody else's turn and um, things like that. Just uh, listening to what people are in the mood for and recognizing that we're all maybe in different places. Very good. We do that too. I have a 20 year old that's home from college and he you know, chose to go to college in Chicago and wants to be in Chicago. He wants to go to his study groups and he wants to go to his campus library and be with his friends. And he's home studying now, as is my 18 year old. And having that opportunity to acknowledge that this is probably the last time I will have them in my home together for you know a couple of months at a time as they are establishing their own lives and their adulthood. It is a treasure. And so we instituted early on, I don't know, instituted, that probably sounds too formal, but we've taken advantage and had um, card games after dinner or mm-hmm. my younger son plays different games that I've never played before. And so he's trying to teach us or I had the joy of sharing with my sons, one of my favorite movies from college graduate school, um, M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense, which they've heard oh. of the movie over the years. And we, I actually shared it with my younger son this weekend. We watched it together and he enjoyed it so much that he invited his brother to watch it the next night when he was home from work. So that was kind of a fun, um, I don't know, just a fun thing to pass on and get to say, oh, this is something that's I like. Maybe you'll like it too. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Do you have rituals that you bring home and how has your family adjusted to you being out and them being in quarantine? It's funny, when I first got promoted to chief, um, I asked a a neighboring fire chief for some advice. And the one thing he told me was (laughs) sanitize. He said, you're a politician now, you're going to be shaking a lot of hands, and you won't have time to be sick. So sanitize. (laughs) And uh, so I've been, I I took that advice to heart and have been um, have been very careful along the way. And then just now during this time, just trying to be that example because I, I am recognized in the community when I'm out and um, want to make sure that I'm, I'm modeling the best practices that are, that are being recommended. And so we try to do that uh, both, both uh, individually and as a family. Thank you. Every once in a while, um, it's getting more and more often, but Every once in a while, I get tired of my own cooking. You know, I I was so diligent to cook at home and have all the food stored up. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I was out. I had to run and get filters for my furnace and ran through a local little drive-through to get coffee. And just as I gave the man my money and he gave me the coffee, I just stopped for a moment and said, thank you so much for working. Thanks for working and providing coffee for people like me. And um, he responded back with something, you know, that was like shock and surprise. And there's so many people um, that maybe are focused in this time on get out, get what you need, get back home, stay safe. I'm not sure everyone's taking time to notice the people in front of them and um, just 
speak a word of appreciation. I've had so much compassion and understanding for those frontline workers, for the person at the home improvement store selling me my filters, or the person behind plexiglass at the grocery store um, selling me groceries. I'm wondering in your experiences, whether as um, a politician, a public figure, or as a domestic engineer right now, a person, you know, professor and a, a medical professional, um, how have you seen listening and understanding needed most during this time? Um, for me, I would just say is the empathy, you know, understanding with empathy and practicing your empathy skills. You don't know, you don't know what's going on for people. I mean, for the people who are out working, you know, have they been overwork? Do they feel safe? Do they have the PPE they think they should have? Um, and for the other people out and about, you know, what caused them to be out and about? Is there, is this their one trip out for the week, mm -hmm. for the day? Just kind of slowing down and realizing people are coming from, from different places and you, you don't really know the backstory. You know, you just know you see the behaviors that are in front of you. Um, so really, yeah, listening and understanding is needed more than ever. I wish there was more of it. I think think people are slowing down. And I think you see things differently. So like in my job, I'm not actually a, an instructor or professor. I work in a cardiac rehab. So I'm, I do teach people is... Um, it's exercise and education after their healing from heart procedures or heart attacks. I think as people slow down and notice, and maybe it's fear that they look at each other differently. And so I worry about our patients that come in every day. We've got heart and lung patients, and it's normal for them to be short of breath, and it's normal for them to cough. And so I worry about them going out and having that understanding and how people are looking at them. And, um, I hope people that, you know, will do it with empathy and you, you don't know that that's normal and it doesn't for them. And it doesn't mean that they're being disrespectful and coming out with their cough. This is just, this is life for them every day. And I think what you said, it, it really shows how often we may take people for granted and, and the jobs for granted that, that we all depend on and how interconnected we are. And maybe this has caused us to to realize that and understand it in a better way. I mean, right now, I really appreciate the person who normally cuts my hair and I can't <laughs> wait to see him again because uh, this is, I think, the longest it's ever been. And, and just other people, some of the family-owned restaurants that we like to go to, and we're worried about them. We hope they survive. Uh, there's places that we really enjoy going. And, uh, and how, are, how are they holding up? And then those people at, at businesses like grocery stores that, um, that maybe weren't appreciated much before, but we certainly all appreciate them coming to work so that we can have the resources that we need. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's caused us to maybe reconsider a lot of that and, and maybe value those people and the work that we, they do and how much they add to our, our community and our daily lives. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time. We're about out of time. And I just want to just appreciate you spending these moments with me. Um, Chief Gregory and Jacqueline Bolano, thank you so much. Please stay safe, stay well, 
And um, I look forward to hearing about these family game nights. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. Take care. Thank you. Bye.